0: auto insurance can all seem the same until it comes time to use it so don't get stuck paying more for less coverage switch to usa auto insurance and you could start saving money in no time get a quote today restrictions apply
4: you take care of people. Let H&R Block take care of your taxes. Have the specially trained tax pros at Block Advisors by H&R Block find you every available credit and deduction and save up to 30% compared to the cost of a typical accountant, plus 100% accuracy guaranteed. Visit blockadvisors.com caregiver today to get started. Average savings based on national average fees for Federal Form 1040 plus Schedule C and one state filing in the latest available 2020 survey conducted by the National Society of Accountants. Pricing may vary. See blockadvisors.com guarantees for full details.
5: By the Saints for a touchdown.
0: he inside pass to everything Saints football. Jimmy
5: Graham brings it down, and that is a touchdown, New
0: Orleans. We'll take you to places most fans never go to practice, to the sideline, to the locker room, following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the Saints season. That is going to be a touchdown. Taysom Hill to Taysom TD welcome to inside black and gold and that is going to be a touchdown again and guess who mike thomas now here are your hosts steve geller and jeff nowak
2: oh baby
6: hey y'all and welcome into this special (laughs) sports talk fueled edition of inside black and gold i'm jeff nowak we're hearing from steve geller in a few minutes just full disclosure, I do want to apologize. It's been a little off schedule this week. I was out in Mobile for the Senior Bowl. You know, the this was not able to get our regular podcast recorded, but as always, Steve Geller and myself hosted Sports Talk on Friday, and it worked out because the Clint Kubiak news broke shortly before the show in that the Saints are honing in on Clint Kubiak as their new offensive coordinator. Personally, I think it's great. We're going to talk a lot about that. In this episode, and it's going to be content culled from that episode. We talked a lot about Clint. We got to chat with Deuce McAllister, Bobby Aber, and also in the back end of the program, we'll have a Senior Bowl rundown while Joe DeLeon, who's an NFL draft and college football analyst with the believe podcast network he's really really well researched a lot of great information in there so stick around at the end for that but in this first segment we're going to dive into kind of our takeaways on the clint kubiak hire you know and we're going to talk to do so i thought had a lot of interesting feedback so without further ado let's dive
0: into that Got a lot to get to today. Who would have known that today would be the day we get an idea of what the Saints want to do at Offensive Coordinator Reports coming out. They are targeting San Fran's Clint Kubiak.
6: Yeah, past game specialist, you know, kind of a weird title, you're not quarterbacks coach or whatever. But yeah, you know, I, I'm just glad that People, I can stop having to explain to people that it's not the end of the world. This yeah. job nobody wants. It's
0: so unattractive.
6: Well, what drove me nuts is like, why didn't they hire someone three days after they fired Pete Carmichael? We're well, losing
0: out on everybody.
6: Well, for example, if you wanted to hire Clint Kubiak if Clint Kubiak was not, you know, whether he was at the top of your list <laughs> or one of the candidates you wanted to take a close look at, you couldn't even talk to him until after the divisional round of the playoffs. Right. So I think. You know, this week is probably the earliest that you could, if you wanted to hire Clint Kubiak, this is about, you know, maybe yesterday, maybe Wednesday, whatever. This time frame, which is the week between the NFC Championship and the Super Bowl, is the probably the earliest you could have, you know, come to any type of agreement. Now, they haven't. Finalized it yet, as far as I understand. So we right. don't can't wanna... do
0: it yet until after the Super Bowl. Yeah,
6: so I, I do, you know, I do hesitate to be like, ah, oh,
0: it's signed, sealed, delivered, but right. It sure
6: sounds like they're very close. <laughs> and yeah, I mean that's the thing. When so when a guy makes the Super Bowl, when a team makes the Super Bowl and the coach you want to hire is the coach on that staff, it does make things a little more complicated in terms of you gotta wait it out. And I'll give the Saints credit. They are patient. And I don't know if every team would have been this patient in terms of yeah, we got to wait until <laughs> they keep winning. They, it's hard to get these things done. Um, but, you know, it, it's it's nice because I, there's been a lot of negativity. and No. Yeah, believe it or not, <laughs> there's been a lot of negativity surrounding the Saints team. And I do I do think you're going to have a hard time coming up with reasons to hate this hire. Um, you know, I, I think you heard a lot of people saying, I'm tired of them keeping everything the same. I'm tired of the same old usual thing. And I do feel bad because I think Ronald Curry is a very good coach. And I do think that – to an extent, the need to do something different worked against very him. much against him for a job that I think he would do a very good very good job in. I think he's a, going to be a good offensive coordinator in the NFL. I just think the timing and the fact that you went with Pete Carmichael and it just did not work, and I think there's this inherent need to just change things up.
0: No, I agree. People would go, "Oh, this is the same old, same old yeah, again." We reaction- went from Sean Payton to Pete Carmichael, and now you know with Ronald Curry, it's like Sean three
6: Yeah, and the thing is, like, I don't think the Saints really care about like, oh, there's going to be some negativity around this hire, but it sure makes my life a lot easier to not have to try to answer those conversations. And and there wouldn't fighting have off been, the trolls on Twitter. There wouldn't have been excitement around around the Ronald Curry hire, and that's not fair to Ronald, but I, that's the reality. And but I think a lot of people are going to look at this and say, "Man." There was a lot of things I wanted to see in this hire. I wanted to see a new school kind of guy. I wanted to check. see someone <laughs> who came from this, one of these offenses that is lighting the league on fire. One of these check. newfangled offenses <laughs> with a lot of motion and a lot of RPO and all this stuff. Check. Kyle Shanahan, check. And to me, one of the biggest things I wanted to see was a guy with play, play caller, experience. offensive coordinator yes. experience. Because this is not a situation check. Triple check I wanted I mean. to throw. A new first-year offensive coordinator into he could have thrived he could have succeeded but that's a tough situation and you know you look at uh, Kubiak he was in Minnesota with Mike Zimmer another defensive guy you know it, I think that it didn't go well but you did have experience you learn from experience right you either you know you either get better or you don't and I think this is where you have the interview process and you feel like yeah I think those are that's valuable experience. Coming from that system, and hey, if you're trying to find a complementary player, a comparable player to Derek Carr in the current NFL, wouldn't you start with Kirk Cousins? Right, and I think for all Minnesota's faults during the during the final Mike Zimmer year, <laughs> you know he was able to tease a good performance, a good season out of Kirk Cousins, and Justin Jefferson had a had a fantastic year. So I feel good about it. I think. You know, hopefully he doesn't get snaked and we all, we all get kind of, uh, you know, duped and whatever. Hopefully that doesn't happen because there are still a few teams looking to hire an offensive coordinator. Yeah,
0: There's three other teams besides the Saints right now still in search of that OC.
6: Yeah, but I, I, if this is what ends up happening, I really like it. I think it's the right, the right decision and uh, I'm looking forward to it.
0: Talking a lot about Saints right now. They're in the process of honing in on or getting close to locking up. Clint Kubiak from the San Francisco 49ers. Of course, nothing can become official there at Offensive Coordinator until after the Super Bowl to help us talk about things. Deuce McAllister, Saints color analyst, joining the radio huddle. And before we get into Saints talk, Deuce, just want to say, first off, congrats to you and your son. I know you got some big news.
7: Yeah, um finally the process for him to be able to find a school that uh he feels like that he can enjoy and develop and you know hopefully continue to uh go on to the next level as far as a four year school. So uh pretty excited for him.
6: What what position are we talking about here, Deuce? Uh
7: he plays defensive uh and in a defensive tackle so on the college level he'll 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 translate to a probably a three technique.
6: So he 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 went the tackling the running back route <laughs> as opposed to the, the running back route.
7: That's exactly right, you know and I uh, tried try to encourage him, but you know uh, sometimes it, it, it's a little tough to push away from that food table so uh, he just kept kept going a little bit, but uh, it's been good.
0: Deuce, your initial reactions, obviously Adam Schefter coming out with a report. The Saints have locked in and are targeting uh, Clint Kubiak as the next uh, next offensive coordinator for the team. He's currently riding with the 49ers to the Super Bowl in Vegas as their passing game specialist. Uh, Overall, though, it's hard to, for me at least, to come up with any uh, negatives on this hire. It seems like a great direction going for the team, Uh, going out of house. I know a lot of people want to change and just the history of what Kubiak has done. Plus, he's got good family uh, bloodlines, too.
7: Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, uh, when you look at it, you kind of see, uh, or at least when they, they're they interviewing the different personnel, a lot of them came from that Shanahan or McVay tree. And, uh, you know, some of the guys that they talked to obviously uh, got other jobs and some uh, have not. You know, and I'll be interested because you know right now that you have uh, two spots open on the offensive staff. You know, what uh, what else happens? with that staff because it is a little different um, as far as style of offense than what the Saints have done in the past. And so uh, it should be good. You know, I think when you talk about uh, shifts, motions, pre-snap, post snaps some of the runs, the Saints, I mean, I know people may not believe it, but a lot of the runs – uh, particularly from a run scheme, the Saints did that anyway. I mean, they've been a zone team. They've been a gap scheme. It's a little bit different how San Francisco gets there. But when you talk about running the football, there's only so many ways to run the football. I mean, now what you call that play, what it's named, that may be a little bit different. So uh, it'll be intriguing just to see the uh, new plays, new wrinkles, uh, design, et cetera, be implemented into this offense.
6: You know, Deuce, one of the things that I think intrigues me about the Clint Kubiak hires, is obviously the Shanahan connections and that offense that's kind of dominated the league over the last couple of years, but also you go back to Minnesota and you look at what he was able to do for Kirk Cousins. Obviously, it wasn't a great season. They went 8-8, eight and eight, but uh, you know... 33 touchdowns seven interceptions 4200 yards I would compare these guys in terms of Kirk Cousins Derek Carr they're similar in terms of skill set you know obviously Kirk was thrown to Justin Jefferson that helps but do you think what what do you think in terms of how can Clint and how can a new offensive coordinator work with Derek Carr and and try to tease a more consistent offense you know obviously you had some of those high moments late in the season but how can you get more consistency out of Derek?
7: Well, I think, you know, when you look at it from Derek's point of view, you you want your quarterback to be comfortable. And so you finding out, hey, look, this is what I see Derek Carr doing well. These are some of the things that he has had success with. So from a play call standpoint, you have to marry that. I mean, you can't be a play caller or a designer of a system and just be so stuck on what you do, what you do. These are my plays. This is my offense. If your team is not having success, all you're doing is calling plays. All you're doing is running plays because they're not successful plays. So I think that'll be the most critical thing. How can I put my quarterback in a position to where he's successful? And if he's successful, then my team should be successful.
0: Do something that Jeff had tweeted out, and I was thinking it uh, right while I was reading it uh, when he had put it out there, that with this hire of Kubiak, if he does come on board, what better person to uh, come up with some new plans for Taysom Hill uh, in the Saints offense when he's worked with somebody like Debo Samuel already in San Francisco?
7: Yeah, and even even from Taysom, I don't know how much more different that you'll see. You know, and I think that's that's what you have to understand. You may see him line up as a wing now, but Taysom is already lined up, you know, at quarterback, he's lined up at tailback, he's lined up out wide. You know, he, he's your tight end. So and that's that's really what I was referencing for maybe the name changes as far as some of those plays. Uh, You know, and you'll get some different routes, but I am going to allow him to do what he does best. And so uh, the biggest thing that I see from, from the coordinator's standpoint and point of view, how can I get this team to do it at an elite level? That's what it'll come down to.
6: Gotcha. You know, I spent this past week out at the Senior Bowl, a lot of really interesting prospects out there, particularly for the Saints. And, you know, the Saints are a team that likes to draft a certain way. They like to draft a certain type of player. You know, they have prototypes. I'm curious, as you look at this team and you look at the draft and you say, okay, obviously you don't want to draft for need. You don't want to take a guy just because you you need a left tackle or you need whatever. But as you look at this team, what would you say is the position of greatest need where – you know, you're looking at this offseason. You're saying, okay, you got to improve there. You got to find an extra piece, a new piece, something that can can amp up that position.
7: Well, if you look at the Saints over over their history and how they like to operate, you really it would be unfair if you totally said that that's all going to happen in the draft. Because as we know, um, one of the ways that you don't get in a position of need or reach is because you try to fill it through fee agency. Now you may be able to get a stopgap player in free agency and now I, it it can allow me to kind of focus on another area but you know for me if this team can't truly address some of the issues that they had up front whether that's uh injuries you know on the offense and defensive side of the football as far as the offensive line then you got to be right back in that same position i thought that you were able to develop some of those younger guys a little on the offensive side but you you've got to get some stability i mean because you know what happens at left tackle for you Uh, Is is that going to be Trevor Penning? And I know, you know, kind of what Jeff has said uh, at at the end of the year. I kind of know what Mickey has said. But right now, that's probably a question mark. You know, left guard, what do you do there? Will it be another free agent to come in and step in and help you there in that situation? Or will one of those young guys that has filled in, is he ready to take that next step? You know, and I think, you know, uh, another position you kind of have to look at. Jawan had a really good year for you, but – uh, is there something else there at that tight end position? The number three receiver for you, what happens there? You know, and that's just looking at it from the offensive side of the football and not even touching, you know, the Alvin Kamara and, and Jamal and, and, and Kendra Miller situation, what happens there? You know, and so when you look at it overall, obviously I think this team has to be able to get younger. I think this team has to be able to add some speed to both sides of the ball. But uh, for me, it starts up front you know you you've got to figure out what you're doing with
6: the offensive defensive lines you know you just mentioned Kendra sorry it's muted uh you you just mentioned Kendra you know I'm curious what obviously he popped a little in that final game we didn't see as much of him this season as I think we probably all wanted to but what were your thoughts on his rookie season on what your expectations are from him going forward
7: Well, he's got to learn how to be a pro. I mean, that's what it comes down to. He's probably still the youngest on this team uh, right now. And, you know, he just, he celebrated his birthday earlier or last year and, uh, you know, during the season, but he's got to learn how to be a pro. And, And by being a pro, it's taking care of my body. It's getting my body ready to be able to go out there and play. And, you know, when the Saints actually picked him, you know, we know he wasn't able to go through OTAs. He was recovering from an injury and injuries just really hurt him from his rookie year. But You don't write him off because we know that he is a talented, talented player. It's going to be up to him. Uh, He's going to have to learn a new offense. So that's two years in a row back-to-back that he's learning a new offense. That won't be easy. Hopefully the transition will be a little bit better just from uh, being able to be around, be able to see it, go out there, walk through, and do it. But um, he's he's a really good player. And here, here here's something, and I don't know if you guys knew it, uh, I did get to talk to a couple of guys over at the senior bowl. Your defensive line coach, well, I say your, the Saints defensive line coach was um, almost, I don't want to say he, he, he chose, but the Saints didn't allow him to go to Missouri. I'll put it that way. You know, he had an opportunity, Missouri's coach wanted him, uh, didn't let him, kind of, the Saints didn't want that to happen. Uh, And, uh, you know, so many times we see that nobody wants to work in New Orleans, nobody wants to to be the OC. You know, you talk about, oh, they don't want to work with DA, but no, there are coaches that teams won't. And they choose to be in New Orleans, or you know you look at it having the opportunity to say, "Hey, look no, i I think we can turn this around. I want to be a part of it and And that's happening,
6: so just to be clear,
0: we're talking about Todd Grantham.
7: That's
6: correct. Gotcha.
0: Dude, you were talking about the offensive line up front for this team. Obviously, a huge concern. Curious, what, what can they do with a guy like Trevor Penning? There's so much they've invested in him. Uh, it's been a big letdown to this point. And obviously, we know they're not ready to give up on anything with him yet. He's still a young guy uh, that they, they've got plans for in the future. But how can we get this guy on the field and at least performing uh, in games instead of just being on field goal unit, for crying out loud?
7: Well, and I think Mickey kind of said it. They have to blame themselves a little bit. You don't think?
0: It it definitely I, seems I something. Yeah, yeah <laughs> something something has gone awry there. Whether it's with coaching or not, but still, there you have a not, first not, round not, not pick. Not,
7: not not even from a coaching standpoint. You basically anointed him the starting job without even really. Yeah. Without even really playing and being able to say yes, he's ready for this job, and so just from a pressure standpoint, that's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of pressure. You 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 throw him in the fire, knowing that he probably wasn't ready, and now from a technique standpoint, it's 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 not a top. It's a pure technique with Trevor, and so for okay. Trevor. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised at some point that you see that he's working with, um, you know, some of the guys that do some of the training as far as offensive linemen. Uh, because for Trevor, it's it, it, it's pure technique. It's not not understanding what we're doing from a zone scheme or from a, a gap scheme, you know, uh, playing too high. Yeah, he may play too high at times. But it, with Trevor, it's shooting your hands. It is having confidence and knowing when I have to shoot my hands, where I'm going to put my hands, and just being able to use my strength. To be as big as he is and as powerful as he is, he's too inconsistent in certain areas of his game. He allows smaller guys to be able to get up under him uh, when, when they shouldn't be able to. And I understand you know, that, that may come with leverage, but that's understanding positioning and where I'm going to shoot my hands as well.
6: Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because w- w- the interesting thing with Trevor, it's not that you started him. It's not that, you know, he's a, he's a rookie or a second year player who's developing and he missed a lot of time. It's the way that you went about, okay, he's starting and now he's benched and now he's not getting on the field at he all. He couldn't even get in
0: with all the injuries
6: that were yeah, piling up. And, and I guess yeah, like but he for, was
7: a left tackle. He was right. a left tackle. He was never going to be a guy that you throw in right. at right guard or right tackle. I mean, because he's a left tackle. And so it wouldn't have been fair for him to throw him in at right tackle. It wouldn't have been fair because if he's struggling at a position that he has practiced at and that's all he really knew, why am I going to throw him out there at right tackle when he's never even practiced at right tackle?
6: Why am I going to do that? That's what I try to tell people when they're like, oh, put him at guard. I'm like, okay, he's he's struggling to learn left tackle. Now you're going to ask him to learn a position he's never played? That doesn't make a ton of sense. But I think – you know, with the with Trevor, one of the issues is you know you're looking at a first round pick, and I think there's got to be some consternation within the building of like, man, we've taken all these first round picks, and we're just not getting anything out of them in terms of Peyton Turner's been hurt, Marcus Davenport was hurt, and wasn't as productive as you probably hoped. You know, and, and I think is there? Do you think that's part of it? Is there's just some pressure to get that guy on the field when he's a first round pick, and it, you know, it's not exactly acceptable to say, oh, we took him in the first round, but he's a year or two away. Like that's a tough thing to sell to people but in some some cases that's just the reality and you gotta you gotta live with it regardless of the investment right
7: Robert Meacham redshirted Deuce McAllister redshirted I had (laughs) 16 carries I had 16 carries my, my rookie year 16 not in the game the complete year yep the complete year so it's it, it, it's 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 probably unfair just because the uh, win now mode that everyone is in uh, from a fan's perspective, uh, and 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 really when you took probably all three of those guys, you kind of knew that they were not ready immediately they were not ready immediately and so yes i i agree with you when you talk about uh being able to stick them right in and 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 knowing that they're not probably completely ready but you do it anyway and you know uh for a couple of them it's it's been well really all three of them it's been injuries and payton is too young i mean uh payton Peyton is you know at, at the point where He's going to have to show you he's healthy. And then you talk about Trevor. I was about to say he's too young in his career, but he's going to have to show you that he's healthy, but also that he's made the adjustment to be able to uh, not allow just the small things to take him completely
0: away. Uh, Talk to you later on, dudes. Appreciate the time again. All right, fellas. Thanks, dudes.
4: You take care of people. Let H&R Block take care of your taxes. Have the specially trained tax pros at Block Advisors by H&R Block find you every available credit and deduction and save up to 30% compared to the cost of a typical accountant, plus 100% accuracy guaranteed. Visit blockadvisors.com caregiver today to get started. Average savings based on national average fees for Federal Form 1040 plus Schedule C and one state filing in the latest available 2020 survey conducted by the National Society of Accountants. Pricing may vary. See blockadvisors.com guarantees for full details.
6: Right, back here again. Again, it's Jeff Noak. This is a special Sports Talk Fueled edition of the program. So in this next segment, we're going to hear from a few callers, some interesting takes from the listeners at WWL, and then we're going to chat with Bobby Bear, get his thoughts on the hire. Here you go.
0: We're going to lead off the comments with Jimmy and Gretna. What you got to say about Clint Kubiak, Jimmy?
5: Hey, first off, let me say happy Mardi Gras. I'm stuck in some bad traffic. There... trying to Oh, go out yeah. To... Man, traffic is bad from West Wego to Chalmette, uh, you name it. Downtown, uptown, don't matter. Everything's backed up, uh, total dead stop. Trying to go out to Metairie to see Zebra tonight at the Family Garage. And look, I'm trying to get a hall pass <laughs> to see DJ, DJ Pauly D from Jersey Shore. <laughs> He's going to be downtown tomorrow night for Pygmalion Fest even though it's going to be a washout. Let me say this. I'm not a fan of Dennis Allen right now. He should have got the pink slip. I know Gail Bence is a nice lady, all right? <laughs> Very nice lady. She's the kind of owner you want. She's willing to spend money. She stays out of the way. She's not like Jerry Jones, all right? Now, I do get concerned long-term when she passed away with no kids and no man that some New Yorkers are going to come buy this team up. And I know they got things in the paperwork yeah, and like, all that. Right. But you know what I mean. Listen, I will say this. Slam dunk. I love Kubiak. I think he's got a great resume. I think the pedigree, the family, you know, his dad being Gary, uh, coming from the 49ers and being around Shanahan, to me, is a great move. It's its the only move we've done recently. With We know Dennis Allen's coming back. We know now with the restructured contract for Derek Carr, Not only is he – we can't cut bait on him in a year. We got – we got essentially, we have him for two years. And I hope he turns out to be better. But what I get concerned about, like a lot of Saints fans with Derek Carr, is it's not like he's in his rookie year, second or third year. He is what he is. And that's an average quarterback who gets paid a lot of money, and that's why he's under a microscope. But between Dennis Allen and the whole situation with Derek Carr, which may or may not have been the right free agent move, Uh, and we're kind of stuck with both for now. I think the Kubiak move is the best move I've seen done from the administration, from the brass, to get fans back on board, forcing Dennis Allen's hand, like, look, get rid of Pete Carmichael, let him go to Denver, let Sean Payton do uh, Saints 2.0, do that whole deal up in the snow. And I like this move a lot. I think this is going to – he's a young mind who's really – he's got a lot of IQ there and football IQ, and I think it's a great move. From a season ticket standpoint, selling tickets, I think it's a move in the right direction. So, look, happy Mardi Gras. Yes, indeed. We'll see you all at the uh, p raids.
0: See you out there, Jimmy. Some positive Saints takes. I
6: yeah, like
5: that, and, man. And in a couple of weeks, you could be talking
6: about, you know, a guy with a Super Bowl ring walking into town. There you too, go. Hey. You know? And and I do think that there's value in that. You know, I think there's value in being around a team that's that's had as much success as the 49ers have had. Right, you want to
0: talk about culture, winning culture. Yeah, yeah.
6: And, you know, like, I, I agree with Jimmy there in, in the sense of, like, I, I – I haven't seen a single person on Twitter or social media oh, or even this, on, this even is a on our text hire. line. Like, I can't find a single person <laughs> that is like, I hate this. And, you know, it's nice. It's a nice change. I forgot what support feels like. Uh, but, you know, I, I agree. And, you know, he could, you know, the funny thing is Clint could show up and crash and burn. But I, I do think that there is something to be said for not doing what the fans want, but, you know, energizing things a little bit, you know. And uh, I just think that things have gotten stale. You know, and, and you could feel it. It was just this kind of running in place feeling about this offense. And you were trying to do an impression of Sean by an, with an impression of whatever. Like, right. it was just this imitation of an offense that doesn't exist anymore. And I just think in terms of having an identity, like, that was the buzzword all last year. What is the identity of this team? I don't know. It just seems like they were throwing stuff at a wall and hoping that you could figure out something that sticks and you know the funny thing is in late in the year it kind of feels like you did and I do think you need to look at that and, and pull some things out of it like okay why did this work how can we replicate the good stuff and and incorporate more uh you know the 49ers I think this is a Nick Underhill stat like they ran plays with motion at twice the rate of the Saints last year over the course of the season and just doing things that are just I don't know change your look and change the idea of what your offense does so it's just not as I don't know, warmed over? I don't know if that's the right word, but that's what it felt like throughout the season. And it's just hard to get excited about it. And I think this is a much – I think you're going to have people get excited about this, and hopefully they can deliver on it.
0: And for me, too, you know, Jimmy brought up the fact of you know, the Derek Carr contract uh, getting reworked. And for me, I understand some of the, the fans' you know, trepidations about the the move there, but it's something that needed to be done for – the salary cap issues, obviously, and for me, Car-, Car last season, two fault maybe he played hurt when he shouldn't have. I think we saw him struggle at times because of that shoulder issue. I know he also dealt with concussions, what two times over the season, but I think that shoulder and his back was a little more of an issue than he ever led on to, and if he was able to get out there, he was going to play no matter what. I, he's one of those people that is just built like that. I, no matter, I don't care what percentage I am, if I can gr- get myself onto the field, I'm going to play. I'm interested to see, obviously, what year two holds for him. And I know he's not any spring chicken, but I think we saw... What he can do in this offense towards the end of the year—it's been brought up so many times of the team being able to uh, have success in that final run, which gave you hope for this season, for the next season.
6: Yeah, and we could talk about the restructure a little bit as we go on here. It, it, that was always going to happen, you know. I, I know that there was a lot of idea of like, oh, we can move on from after next year. <laughs> yeah, if you look at the numbers, and I looked at all the numbers this morning. I've looked at them several times, and I saw no route to getting to cap compliance without restructuring Derek Carr or at least like your options were restructure Derek Carr and then make the sensible restructures as much as possible to get there and not make any decisions that could bite you or as, as few decisions that put you in a precarious situation down the road as possible your options were restructure Carr and do it that way or not restructure Carr and basically restructure everybody else that, th- that those were your choices because Derek Carr represents $23 million that you can clear up for next year's salary cap. No one else represents over $11 million, and Ryan Ramcheck is that <laughs> guy. Another guy. A guy who I think you probably don't want to restructure for the obvious reason. So, you know, I, I think Derek Carr, for better or worse, he's the guy. And I do think, like, having some QB stability is good. You know, and, and I'd like to see him be able to build on year one. You know, it, it, there was this idea that he could show up in year one and be perfect. And I get it. You're a vet- he's a veteran. He's in his 10th year. There is some level of learning that comes with a new offense and new playmakers. And if you're looking for the hopeful, glass-half-full Derek Carr take, it's that throughout the course of the season he got better. And hopefully he can hit the ground running next year in a way he was not able to this year. And we year. can
0: keep him healthier. Yeah,
6: and that, <laughs> that too.
0: We're going to check in with our Oakland Hard Jewelers tech and talk and text line. And one of our favorites here at WWL, Craig. How you doing, Craig, from Craig's Electrical? What's up, Craig?
5: Hey, what's up, Steve? What's up, Jeff?
0: Hanging in there, man. What do you think about this hire?
7: Man, that was that was my number one pick, man. It was him, it him? Was it uh, Kubiak and Zach Robinson? And when I seen the Falcons pick up Zach Robinson, I was like, all right. Well, you know, just sitting back, I was like, you know, the Saints have to have somebody that's still
2: playing right now. And I said, I hope well, I think it is, and it was. So.
6: Yeah, the longer it went on, the more it felt like, yeah, Kubiak's probably the guy. Or maybe even Greasy, right? One of those 49ers Right, it's someone
0: involved in the Super but Bowl. It, it
6: does feel weird that the team did something that the fans wanted. You know, it's like, I'm, I'm almost worried about it. It's that's not how this operates. What's going on?
5: So what do you, you guys think
8: about it? No, I mean,
6: I, I agree. Again, like we were talking about, you know, it, it's, a, it's a hire that should get people excited. And I think Saints fans, you know, the, a lot of the frustration, I think, over this last season... You know, it's geared around the results. It's geared around whatever. But, you know, nine and eight is not a record that should have people (laughs) so angry all the time. And I just think it's like people just feel like there's nothing to look forward to. They feel like they're going to go to the game. You're going to see the same thing over and over again.
0: I really think it's because everybody, every single person, went into last year with that expectation after seeing the schedule. And it was like, well, this is a ten-win team at the least, and then when that didn't happen, it was like, oh, nine and eight. You know, it's terrible. Fire everybody.
6: Yeah, well, and I, I think just on the offensive side of things too, you, you spent so much time talking about Sean Payton, offensive wizard. He's going to figure it out. <laughs> like we can trust him to go in there with a plan and be the better coach. There, this offense is going to look better. This offense is going to be devised better. This offense is going to have the better plan. And now you, these last two years, you went into it and it just didn't feel that way. Especially, you go back to that Rams game. Did it feel like Did it feel like the Saints' offense had a better plan than the Rams? Did it feel like they were on the same planet in terms of in terms of game plan for that game? No, <laughs> no. And and so I think that's why. We, like, if you're trying to get excited about this hire, that's it. You feel like okay, this is how we catch up. And
0: if they can do that, if the Saints can do that, I think people get on board real fast. Happy to welcome in the Cajun Cannon, Bobby bear to the radio huddle now. Cajun Cannon, definitely appreciate the time on your day off, but what'd you think of hearing the news? The Saints have targeted their offensive coordinator, and it is Clint Kubiak, passing game specialist with the San Francisco 49ers.
2: Well, uh, I'm just glad uh, that he's not a virgin calling plays. Uh, you know, that's what he didn't need. And... Uh, you know, it's, it's, that's an art. I'm telling you, the NFL level, the call plays now, that being only one season in 2021 with the Vikings. Uh, so you look at it, uh previous experience as the offensive coordinator calling plays and, you know, not necessarily they the right home about. I think, uh, you know, Kirk Cousins, uh, very similar, I think, to Derek Carr as far as uh, stability, uh, not you know, viewed them as the best quarterbacks, but still, you would say um, on the best. They they could be top ten, some ten, eleven, twelve around there. So, and then him being associated now uh, with the Forty ers as the passing game coordinator, and just look how the steadiness of Brock Purdy. So, no, I, I I think it's a big win. I don't know how Saints fans could be upset with this. I I like to, if any fan, I don't know if y'all got any uh, texts or callers that were anti this. I I would like to hear their rationale uh behind that uh but I think it's a big win uh when you look at it uh, I'm actually familiar with that name I, I know his dad <laughs> That's your, I I know Gary Kubiak he was the backup for John Elway when I was playing um when uh you know we we they were with the Broncos and um you know it is going back a long time but you know it's it's amazing how networking and who you know get your foot in all the door uh, D.A., uh, Dennis Allen keeps those Texas A&M uh, connections going. <laughs> you know, Gary sure Kubiak, does. quarterback there, then Clint. That's not a coincidence. So it's who you're familiar with. And I guarantee you he's – somewhere in the past he's met uh, Clint Kubiak, probably when he was a little boy or, you know, different times. Or I'd say that would be uh, my case, you know, dealing with uh, his dad, Gary Kubiak. But Well, Bobby, I got I got one guy. for you here.
6: Yeah. So. Gary Kubiak was the running backs coach at Texas A&M when Dennis Allen was there playing.
2: Well, you see that, that <laughs> right then. It's amazing how you cross paths, and um, and I don't know. I, I I would be surprised if Clint Kubiak does not have success as offensive coordinator, because uh, he's one, and he realized even though you're the passing game coordinator, he realized how important uh, the run game is. And that rushing attack. You know, people look at the 49ers and their stability, and you say, oh, well, who maybe like, you look at the regular season, and I guess who has the more stable teams. And even though I don't go against Pat Mahomes, that's, that's I don't know, you get burned like when you go against Tom Brady. But I think you'd think on the paper that uh, the 49ers got a better team. And uh, look at the Ravens and how they were structured. You got to, listen, you're passing game coordinator, but you still involved, how you set up plays, calling run plays and all that. Uh, you just look at Shanahan's teams. Uh, you look at they're always known for their creative rushing attack. You know, this day and age, you always want to look, you know, in the passing game and everything, but, um, you know, relying on that outside zone concepts and motion and then um, trying to help you out to dictate coverage, whether it's zone or man and all that, and then you mix in a good – or to play action. So uh, I think there's no excuse for uh, Derek Carr to not have success. And I think uh, Derek Carr uh, was all on board uh, for this week, Clint Kubiak uh, coming on board.
6: Yeah, Bobby, you know, the the interesting thing for me is just, you you know, the Saints kind of zeroed in on Clint, I think, pretty early on. and. That's why, you know, I kept hearing people say, well, why aren't they going faster? Why aren't they rushing this process and hiring somebody? Well, like they, they couldn't still coach it. Exactly. And, and you know, I think this is a good example for people. It's like patience is is a virtue for a reason, right? Like there's this idea that the first person that gets hired, like, oh, no, they didn't get that guy. And then the next person, oh, no, they didn't get that guy. If Clint was at the top of their list from the beginning, then this is a massive win. And I think... You know some teams wouldn't have been patient enough to wait out a team that makes it to the Super Bowl and you still can't finish out this contract quite yet because he's still playing but I just think I don't know like I think that the Saints have it right in the the idea that you don't need to rush there's plenty of time you know there's only 32 of these jobs like it's not like there's only 32 guys on the planet who can be the offensive coordinator in the NFL and offensive coordinator in of the NFL. So I, I don't know. I, I appreciate the way they went through this process. I appreciate how wide they cast their net. Um, and I think they ended up with the right guy.
2: Well, he yes, uh, you know, everyone's talking about Zach Robinson. I was a Zach Robinson fan. I know uh, Mike Dettillier was. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he has more experience calling plays than Zach Robinson. Right. Uh, when, when you look at Robinson, uh, you know, uh, obviously – you know, when he's in McVay and all and, and being part of the game plan and all that and being the quarterback coach and, you know, what he was able to do with uh, with Matthew Stafford. But, uh, you know, it's going to be intriguing, boy. He's going to make uh, – in, in the NFC South, you know, everybody said, oh, we got to get young. We've got too many old farts around here. Well, uh, you look Zach Robinson's 37 years old and Kubiak's 36. So, shoot, uh, I, I, man, I finished playing I was 37. <laughs> You know, you get to the point sometimes, that's when you know you've played a long time in the league. And you start when you're getting in your 30s and you look at, i never forget uh, Coach Moore's son, J.L. Moore, you know, ended up being a head coach uh, with, uh, with the Falcons and then all over. I think he's now the head coach at UConn. I remember when he came on the staff, I said, man, I'm actually older than a couple of coaches on the staff. So that's when you know you've been around. But I think that brings a lot of, You know, uh, hype, but uh, a lot of young, uh, vibrant coaches, uh, you know, uh, well in their uh, prime. And and look, this could be a building block. Uh, I think, uh, okay, I'm just going to say this now. I think Clint Kubiak will have success with the Saints. And then one day he'll be an NFL head coach like his dad was. That's what I think.
0: Cajun Cannon, you looking at the Saints' coaching staff right now on offense? Still need a running back coach, a wide receiver coach, but I wouldn't imagine that the Saints make any moves just yet. Obviously, until this Kubiak deal can be finalized, right?
2: Oh yeah, why would you? I mean, if I'm the offensive coordinator, I want the coaches who I want. Right? I mean, do you, do not, you think it'd...
0: Do you think any of the guys currently on staff could be in danger?
2: Well, I don't know what, um, what Clint Kubiak uh, thinks. And, uh, you know, and like with Doug Marone, the offensive line coach, right. like you said, uh, the running back coach receiver. No, he's definitely going to have input in that. He has to have input in that. And Dennis Allen will trust him. No, he's really the head coach of the offense now. Even though Dennis Allen is the head coach, Dennis Allen is not running the offense. You know, you might, whether you're going forward on four down or not, uh, you know, a decision to be made as a head coach. But as far as – as I always said this, uh, the Saints really need to get back to where – play better against the run. If the defense doesn't play well, that's Dennis Allen's fault because that's his baby. Even when he became a head coach, he said, uh, no, I'm I'm the head coach, but I'm still going to be the defensive coordinator. I'm calling the defenses. Now, you get help putting a game plan and all together. It was very similar to Sean Payton, even though he was the head coach. He wasn't telling them what to do on defense. Uh, you know, or anything like that. No, he was calling plays and all that. So, uh, I think Dennis Allen has a lot of confidence in Clint Kubiak, and I, I think Mickey Loomis also. Uh, so you got to wait and see. Uh, I, I think uh, you know we want to be more optimistic, but you got to be realistic. And I, and I think this would be a great accomplishment. Doesn't mean you're winning anything. Uh, just think if if we did next season what Tampa Bay did this season. And remember, we kicked Tampa Bay's behind at the end of the season, but look what they did. They won the NFC South, they hosted a playoff game, and they won. And all of a sudden, they in the Final Four. Now, uh, to me, that'd be a big win. Now, we gotta get back to the playoffs, three straight years not being in the playoffs, but to me, that'd be a big win, and you know the team is heading in the right direction. At first, you gotta win your division, when the NFC South, host a playoff game, and not only host it, and win it. And all of a sudden, you're taking that next step to get back to the Super Bowl and the NFC Championship.
1: The NFL regular season is wrapping up, but there's still time to get in on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Must be 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Back
6: at it. One more segment to go here again. I'm Jeff Nowak. This is a special sports talk fueled edition, but I did want to get you some Senior Bowl content since I spent the whole week out there. And that's why we're off schedule in the first place. So in this final segment, we're going to dive into some of the prospects at the Senior Bowl that I was particularly impressed by. We're going to hear from Joe DeLeon, who is an NFL and college football analyst for the Believe Podcast Network. A lot of really intriguing names. I would be stunned if we don't hear at least one of these names we're talking about get drafted by the Saints in a couple months. So let's dive in on that. Who that? Let's do it.
0: Be tuned. Getting into our Senior Bowl talk, happy to welcome in Joe DeLeon, co- uh, college football and NFL draft analyst at the Believe Podcast Network. How you been, Joe?
3: Uh, good, man. good. It's uh, always an exciting time of year when the Senior Bowl uh, wraps up. It's the it's the key indicator that it's draft season. So <laughs> always excited to see how things turn out, and it was a pretty fun uh Fun week of practices that happened in Mobile.
0: I was wondering, did you end up with sunburn on one half of your head? Because <laughs> my partner over here, Jeff Nowak, he ended up with uh, his left side got toasted a little bit more than the right.
3: Yeah, the uh, the sun was a lot lot stronger than it typically uh <laughs> Than it typically is there in Mobile this time of year, which is which is surprising.
6: <laughs> I just thought it was funny because you could tell who was the media by the sunburn on the left side of their face, and you, you know the guys on the other side of the stadium had it on the right side of their face. They're more important than we are, but let's uh, <laughs> let's get into it. You know, uh, one thing about this draft that I think this draft class that I think became really clear this week, if it wasn't already, there's was a lot of really intriguing offensive line prospects, and a lot of them were in Mobile. Right, Taliese Fuanga, Tyler Guyton, Jordan Morgan, and and, and even then, there's just a lot of names after I'm just curious if there were any offensive line prospects that you went in there and were surprised by that maybe you didn't expect to look as good as they did. Cause I just thought that's the group that, you know, if you're a team looking for offensive line help, this is the year.
3: Yeah, I think that the the one guy in particular that you just mentioned was Tyler Guyton from Oklahoma. He was a guy who I had graded as my seventh rated offensive tackle because I knew coming into the week that this is a a very long and athletic former tight end uh, that was playing tackle who this was really his first full season as a starter at Oklahoma uh, after he ends up taking the job from Anton Harrison who was uh, a first-rounder last year. And I wanted to see coming into the week how was he going to show up, how physical could he look because there were some not concerns but expectations that his upper body strength isn't to where it needs to be. But one thing I saw is while that work and that refinement is going to come with time, he's got tools that you can't coach. Tremendous mobility. Uh, his base was, was fantastic. And then being six foot seven with the arm length that he brings to the position, I think maybe in a year or so, if you give him some time to develop, he could be a really good starting tackle in the NFL. But fan bases need to be patient with him. This is, is not going to be a guy who steps in right away and plays at a very high level because he does need to work on his technique, and he does need to add some more power to his profile.
6: You know, uh, and you know, kind of just shifting t- across from that to a guy that I saw beat Tyler Gutton in pretty clean and is really intriguing to me is a guy that I thought really helped his draft stock this week was Darius Robinson. You know, 6'5", 284. He just, I think he just, you know, you you look at some of the reviews on what he was able to do. and he can line up anywhere. I mean, <laughs> I, I think that guy's going to end up being a top 15 pick when it's all said and done. What do you think?
3: Yeah, I had a feeling that was who you were going to say as soon as you started leading that in. Darius <laughs> Robinson is a is a guy who, like, started the week not slow but quietly. There we, we were talking about a lot of other players, and then as the week progressed, he just started to build more and more momentum. This edge class, it's not tremendously talented. This isn't like the past couple of years. There's a bit of a you know who's who of who ends up being that that top edge rusher. So he could end up going a lot earlier than I think a lot of people. Uh, might have as expected, but you guys talked about he can play a number of different positions. The Missouri, they had him move around in a bunch of different shades. And then finally this year, he was playing mostly on the outside and was much more productive. And then we saw at the Senior Bowl this week that they were having him rush uh, you know, from a three technique and then moving him and having him rush uh, as a defensive end. And the ways that he was able to display the the power that he has, he's got very – underrated bend for the position, which is important for edge rushers. But I love the, the, the technique and the hand fighting ability that he brings to the position. I think outside of Lietsu Latu, who is in a completely different stratosphere of technician, I, I think that Darius Robinson was uh, that second best guy in terms of just being the most technically sound, well-coached edge rusher that was in Mobile.
6: You mentioned Latu, and I well, I got a chance to talk to him at the event, not on the field, but at the kind of breakfast at 3.30 p.m., which is what they still called it, which I thought was funny. Uh, and his frame really was interesting to me because I expected him to be a much bigger guy. He's very long. And I'm just curious, yeah, what, what do you see from him? Because uh, w- watching the Saints, you see a lot of the frame of a Darius Robinson. You don't see as many of those long edge rushers the way Latu is. What did you see from him specifically?
3: Yeah, is a really interesting player in this class because – and it kind of goes in, the, in line with this conversation of how the edge class is going to shape out because there's, there's two guys in particular with uh, Dallas Turner from Alabama yeah. and Jerry Burst from Florida State who are just super twitched up, super just traitsy players that are, are kind of developing um, their technique. But then you go to Lieu Latu, who's maybe not as twitchy and as you're talking about, he's not this hulking mass, he's not this massive player, but the way that he wins is through effort. It's through his motor, playing through the whistle. Uh, You see that all the time on film, and then you saw that come to reality in Mobile. The way that I know that a guy is just tremendously well-coached and just really gifted with his reactiveness and his decision-making as a pass rusher is watching how they counter when their initial move doesn't work. And it happened multiple times during the week that he was – the couple times where you kind of were watching, you're thinking like, oh, he's about to lose this rep. He had an amazing counter move that was unblockable for some of these these tackles, and I think that has put him into a completely separate category. I feel like Latu has solidified being a late first-round pick, but things that are going to complicate it are his medical background and and having to uh, medically retire at one point is going to make things really tricky. We did see uh, with Phillips a few years ago, former Miami and UCLA edge rusher, who had something similar and still went in the first round. I think Watsu could maybe overcome that, but he is just a, a phenomenal football player who was really fun to watch.
0: Joe, looking at some uh, two local guys from Tulane, curious what you thought uh, from this week's uh, practices of Michael Pratt and also Jaquan Jackson.
3: Yeah, Jackson was a very underrated player for the receivers, and there's just so much receiver talent, so it's easy to get lost in the shuffle uh, with all of those guys that were performing at the receiver position, but just a very quick Shifty, explosive guy that could be some great day three value for a team that's looking for maybe that fourth or fifth receiver on their roster. But Michael Pratt, I was really impressed. I think that if you look at the rest of this quarterback group, for the most part, it was it was unimpressive and inconsistent at times. Bo Nix, you know, started the week a little slow and then finished strong. And Michael Penix flashed his arm strength, but at the same time, uh, those inconsistencies that showed up thrown to the middle of the field. Appeared on the in the practices during the week, but with Michael Pratt, I knew coming into this week that he was the most steady guy. I knew that he was always going to you know make the right decision. He was always going to deliver the ball with with great accuracy where it needs to be. Um, he's not the most athletically gifted quarterback of the group by any means, but because he's so steady and consistent, I think that's going to help carve out a role for him in the NFL for a very long time. It is hard to find a good backup quarterback that a team can draft and rely on when a starter goes down. And I think that Michael Pratt is eventually uh, going to be that type of a player in the league. And I kind of compare him to maybe being like Kirk Cousins, who Cousins was drafted just to be a backup. And now we see that he has become an important part of the success for the Minnesota Vikings. Pratt has that capability. He might not step onto the field and play at an MVP type of a level, but he's good enough to win football games. I think maybe a few years later on into his career.
6: You know, one of the one of the things I appreciate about the Senior Bowl is you get a chance to see some of these lower-level prospects that, you know, a lot of it's like, I think this guy's good, but you don't see him against the top-end competition, so it's tough to it's tough to tell. And guys, like, show up, and you're like, who is that? And you go look him up, and you start looking at their background. And one of the guys for me that I thought had a really good week and is, is intriguing, you know, maybe a UDFA latch onto a roster is uh, Dylan Laub, the running back out of New Hampshire. And he was just making plays, right? And I talked to him. And uh, I asked him who his game is kind of reminiscent of. And he said he said Christian McCaffrey. But I also I asked him if he had run that by Luke McCaffrey, who was also there. And he said no. So I start to wonder if maybe he doesn't want to get told that it's not him. But the guy I would comp him to, and I think is a lot more reasonable, is Danny Woodhead, another guy who came from a lower level, and they do a lot of the same things. And what he said to me was like, "Yeah, if Danny was playing in the league today, he would be crushing it because the way the NFL game is played now, it just you you want that guy, you want that that fire hydrant who can catch the ball and just does everything, all the little things." And I thought Dylan was that guy. My prediction is that he ends up having the you know leading in total yards because this just seems like an event that's built for him. I'm curious if you had any thoughts on Dylan. And in general, was there anyone that kind of came out of the woodwork uh, that you that you think really showed themselves well this week?
3: Yeah, Lauv actually I think really definitely fits that, that category you're saying here of a guy who popped up through the woodwork. And he was somebody who I'd been tracking uh, this whole season. I, I played football in the CAA, which was the conference that that he played in. And I played plenty of UNH teams that gave a, gave my Rhodey Rams a pretty tough battle. And it, it's, it's not surprising that they've got a really – well-coached running back like Laub who played the way that he did this week. And I really like that, that comp to Danny Woodhead. The other one that my co-host Brian Roberts had given on the show was that it uh, kind of gives the, the James White type of a feel. And if Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels were still running the Patriots, he probably would end up <laughs> beating a, a Patriot if we're – you know, probably put some money down on that and he would probably end up hitting. But um, you hit the nail on the head there where he's not going to be the type of running back that I'm going to rely on – Uh, between the tackles and on every single down he's just not really built for that he's not really strong in those short areas he's not going to you know pound for extra yards but for the modern NFL where you've got these guys that can be motioned into the slot on third down you can have them uh, run screens you can have them run flare routes and wheel routes and get open and kill you in space he's exactly the type of guy that you want to need uh, for that type of a role and, and we the thing that excited me the most that we got to see is that he was uh, playing in the one-on-one reps against the dbs right. and he was creating really easy separation against those guys so yeah so what you brought up Laub was one of the guys that i really enjoyed watching this week and i think he could be a little bit of a surprise player that goes somewhere on day three and ends up being a a nice piece for a team that's in the playoffs next year
6: I agree completely. Uh, You know, my my last question, and this is kind of open-ended, you know, it's not a banner tight end class at all, but this is the type of year where there's going to be one or two guys that you're not talking about, but show up and you're like, who is that guy? And like, well, you should have been paying attention. And I'm just curious, who would be your top tight end? Who are you most impressed with at the tight end position out of this year's senior bowl class?
3: Yeah, I think without a doubt it was Theo Johnson from Penn State. He is going to go to the Combine and to exactly what you're saying there, he's going to be the guy that everyone during the week at the Combine is going to be like, who who is this? This guy ran a a high 4'4", he ran a 4'5", and he's 260 pounds, and he's going to test so well in all of the, the testing drills. He might even have outside of Brock Bowers, which I don't know if, if Bowers will even end up testing. Uh, that remains to be seen. He doesn't really need to. Right. Uh, but Johnson could end up having the best testing numbers out of any of the tight ends if that does end up happening. I kind of compared to, and I said on my show this week, that it, I felt like he could maybe be this year's uh, Sam Laporta that into next season, uh, in the first seven weeks of the year, he's on a team that loves to utilize their tight ends and get them involved into the passing game, and he just ends up being that go-to dump-off threat uh, when things break down like Sam Laporta was for Jarek Goff. And we'll be saying in week 10, like, how the heck did this guy end up falling through the cracks, and why is he doing so well? Uh, I definitely think that that, that descriptor is, is perfect for, uh, for Theo Johnson from Penn
0: State. Always great, Jeff. Uh, great stuff from you, Joe. Appreciate the time, and no, we'll be talking to you more with the draft, obviously, around the corner. Of course. Thanks for having me, guys. That's Make college sense. football and NFL draft analyst Joe DeLeon. You can find his work at the Believe Podcast Network. St. Sideline reporter Jeff Nowak, who is here co-hosting today, was out there at the Senior Bowl practices taking it all in. Got a chance to talk with Tulane wide receiver Jaquan Jackson, and here's how things went. Jeff Nowak here with
6: former Tulane standout Jaquan
0: Jackson. And
6: Jaquan, you know, I've I've had a few people tell me that you're this year's tank Dell. And when you
8: hear people say that, what is your reaction? Um, No, it's a blessing to be like that. You know, what Tank did at Houston when we played him last year and for all the years that he did, you know, like the journey that he he had, it was amazing, you know, just watching him uh, each and every year dominate, dominate, dominate. Now he got the chance to play on a a professional level and still do the same thing, what he do, like he was a little kid, just making plays with CJ Stroud back there, throwing it to him, and just got the connection, you know, that me and Pratt had at Tulane. So it was just amazing. It's crazy that we signed with the same agency, so, um, you know, we got a little bond connected just talking to each other every now and then. I try not to bother them too much, but it's just just amazing to see how his process went and how he's doing, you know.
6: Yeah, how, Gina, how has this process gone for you so far? Have you identified some things that, you know, have, have any teams kind of given you things that you need to look at, that you
8: need to work on, or what, what are you focused on this week? Well, I'm really focused on um, my goal was just to come down here and just do what I do best, you know. Um, I'm not going to change it because it's a big stage, you know, and a lot of scouts out there, I'm going to just act like they're not there and just make the plays, you know. Um, but the biggest thing, I want to give a shout-out to the senior bowl and Jim gym nagging and his staff for, doing this for us, you know, it's amazing and giving us the opportunity to perform in front of all thirty-two teams and just, you know, show what we can do, you know. Not too many people get this opportunity, but the people that's here, I would say don't take it for granted, you know. But um just going one day at a time, you know, I tell Michael probably each and every morning regular, I'm like, man, this, this is worse than Fall Camp, but it's a grind though, you know. It's like this is what football is, this is a business. Can you really sustain the whole practice and means and all that and can your body hold up you know if you can't you know you're you, you going to get cut but at the end of the day but you know how that go how, how helpful is it to have Mike here and to be able to kind of bounce things
6: off each other and even in those one-on-ones? I know he talked about it yesterday. When you when you guys paired up, you were two for two, right? That's got to help in terms of you know how he likes to blow the ball. He like he knows how you like to run routes. Yeah, how helpful is that?
8: Oh, man, It's real helpful, you know. We're we, uh, staying together in a hotel. Like, it's my roommate, so we go over to plays at night. And, you know, sometimes we don't add and, like, we don't line up as – we're on the field at the same time. You know, I'm with the other quarterbacks. The other quarterback's great, too. You know, they're all great. they hero. It wouldn't be here if they wasn't great, you know. But, you know, he always in my ear. I'm always in his ear asking questions and making sure that we're on the same page and, like, knowing what we're doing and just making sure, you know. We had, like, two days to learn and install, you know. That's quick. You know, in college, you probably get it a week before, and then the next week, you start doing it and slow into it. But you hitting the ground running. That's the difference between college and professional.
6: Gotcha, and this is really not senior bowl related, but what you and Mike and the rest of your team were able to accomplish the last two years has been incredible, really. And, you know, obviously Willie's out out going to Houston now, but do you feel like what y'all have been able to build, kind of the culture of winning, which is a lot more important than I think, a lot more difficult to build than I think a lot of people would think it is from the outside, right? Like, how, do you feel like that culture at Tulane that y'all have been able to build is something that'll last well beyond y'all being there?
8: Yes, sir. Um, just going back to Coach Frisk. Coach Fritz came out to watch us today, you know, um, he uh, got the job at Houston and um, took some of the coaches, you know, um, by the end of the day, man, a lot of people don't know about Coach Frisk. He, he won at every level that he had been on, you know, it probably took him some time, but at the end of the day, he rather waited out and just like pr- develop players to so they could be four stars and five stars at the end of the day but you know he gave me an opportunity to play at Tulane for five years and um, I thank him each and every day that uh, uh, giving me the opportunity to play you know but what he did at Tulane was crazy he got that 2014 from Georgia Southern and just from that year on it's starting like progress progress first bowl game in a while then the next bowl game then the next bowl game then we went back down to two and ten but then when we got Kirk Hester the strength coach who's a really good strength coach and have a really great strength staff we build that brotherhood that we didn't have to come together so we, he was like the glue to put us together. And once we got that, that's why we went 12-2 and two and 11-2, and two, you know. And what, as two days ago, um, John Summer, the new head coach, came through, um, watched us practice and talked to us, you know. He's a great coach. As you can see, he's he very energetic and he all about business and he got his staff over there. But I know them guys going to do what they do. We set the culture and the standard there. Now they just got to go out there and finish. The coach is going to give them the blueprint. They just got to go execute it. Gotcha. And his last
6: question, you know, Tajay was a guy who came here last year and really elevated his his brand in terms of people really came out of this week knowing who he was and what he was all about. What were your thoughts on his rookie season this year? And what do you what do you think he's
8: destined for in the NFL? He had a great season, you know, Um, that's my, my right hand man since I got in college. You know, he came yesterday just to see me and Michael, you know, um. Soon we're gonna be getting training off season. You know, um, he you know he just got finished with the uh, NFL, but his first season was great. You know, um, he probably wish he could had had done better from the plays that he had. But at the end of the day, it's football. You always they're not gonna pop. You know, I tell him, and we both criti- criticize both each other just to make sure that we make sure we go even harder. But at the end of the day, you know, he's a hardworking person. He's a leader, and he's always confident. He he anybody that meet him, you know, he's gonna impact on somebody's life no matter what he do on the field. Or on off the field, so he's a special kid, and um, I can't wait to see what he do this year.
0: That was two lane wide receiver Jaquan Jackson, and overall, what did you think of his week at practices, Jeff?
8: I think
6: Jaquan is just a, a great dude. I mean, you know, he's really an exciting player to watch. I, I don't know if you know, I like there's the comp to Tank Dell, and I think it's fair. They, you know, both AAC guys, right? Both guys who probably needed to come to this to go to the senior bowl and really prove to people that they could hold up against yeah. some of these top end prospects. And he, he does they do a lot of the same things. I think Tank was a little bit more of a refined route runner. Jaquan I think has a lot of these moves, but he doesn't necessarily use them to set people up the way he probably could. Right there were times that he would beat someone clean and then run right back to him because he didn't expect to beat him. Or like, it, you know, I think there's something that he can learn in terms of leveraging yourself and your move against the opponent and how they're playing. And it just seemed like he was kind of running routes on air. But there was a defender there. <laughs> uh, but no, he's a, he's a good player, and I think he's going to have a really, really good opportunity to latch on at the NFL level. And you, you heard it in that interview. You know, he's, he's a great talker. The funny thing is, I was looking for him in the in the room to interview him, and I couldn't find him. And I was wandering around, and I, I go outside, and I'm like, okay, I got to get back. I got to send an audio. I got to get ready to do a hit <laughs> on, on WWL. And I walk out, and there's this guy kind of peering in the room. And I walk by him, and I do a double take. I'm like, Jaquan, what are you doing? And he, he just clearly did not want to go in there. You know, I don't think he really wanted to be part of the, you know, it's just so much there's a lot of people, and he was just like, do I have to? Uh, but, like, you heard him. Like, he has no problem talking, and he's, you know, I just think he has a really in, in, intriguing personality. And, I, and that's a lot of what, you know, more so than the game. You know, people say, oh, why, why don't you stay for the game? Like, I tell people, like, the game is for the players. <laughs> the game, the scouting part of it is really throughout the week. And the part people don't see is the interviews. Right. Every player meets with every team. And you kind of get, you know, like speed dating like you get this idea of who each player is. And that's important. I don't know if a lot of people recognize how much value teams put on personality and and how much you enjoy the game. Do you love the game of football or do you just play it? Right? And some people do, some people don't, you know? And and that makes a difference. Like people it's easy to say like these guys are on autopilot, the talent takes over, but at a certain point you got to do the work and you got to work harder than everybody else. Everyone at the NFL level is great. They wouldn't have made it if they weren't great. But are you going to do the work once you get to that level to make yourself elite? And, you know, I think Jaquan is one of those players who's going to work, who's going to do that work. Uh, one thing I'll mention before we before we go to break is uh, before, two, before Willie Fritz departed for Houston, uh, he sat down with Jeff Ireland in the scouting department and gave him the lowdown on all the Tulane players who uh, are coming out. So... If the Saints are looking to draft a two-lane kid, they have a lot of that information straight from the, the head coach. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they take a look at Jaquan if he gets into the fifth or sixth round.
0: That'd be interesting, too. I know Michael Pratt could be a possibility, but you already have a backup in Jay yeah. Kaner right now that you're, yeah. you're grooming behind Carr. I've car. had
6: people mention that. I just think, yeah, I'd like Michael Pratt, but in terms of a developmental prospect, I don't like him more than Jay Kaner, so I feel like that's unlikely. But I do think that he's going to land somewhere and he's going to get a chance to compete. All right. That's going to wrap it up for us here on this episode of Inside Black and Gold. Again, thanks everyone for tuning in. I apologize that this was kind of weird. We're going to get back to our normal publishing schedule next week, but I did want to get you some content, some feedback, some talk about Clint Kubiak, Senior Bowl prospects, all that stuff. I thought the concept from Deuce and Bobby was really good. So I did want to get that to you. But as always, thanks everyone for listening. If you haven't subscribed yet, Please do that wherever you get your podcast. If you haven't subscribed on YouTube at WWL Sports, go ahead and do that. We're just shy of 10,000 subscribers. So I'm hoping we can get there by the start of the draft. But, you know, this is all going to be ramping up. You know, this is the quiet season, but now I expect we're going to be seeing some running back hires, some wide receivers, coach hires. I expect you're going to see a few more coaching moves um as we go forward you know we we didn't really talk about this in the podcast but we'll be getting into this more next week you know people over, were reacting to why didn't they fire Doug Marone why didn't they do all of this I think you were always going to kind of wait until you got the new offensive coordinator in-house because you why fire a guy if you end up finding out that hey this is a guy I wanted to work with anyway right so I think that did make sense to to just keep things intact until you figured that out but, you know, we're going to hit the, C- the Super Bowl. And then I think the rubber is going to start to hit the road when you can finalize these hires. Hopefully nothing crazy happens uh, because there is some time. You know, things things can change. There can be cold feet. But it sure doesn't sound like that's going to be the case. And I'm happy about it. But either way, we'll have plenty of time to talk about this. Again, this is Inside Black and Gold. Thanks, everyone, for listening. I'm Jeff Nowak. Thanks again to Steve Geller. We'll be hearing from him more next week. Who dat? Go Saints. Let's do it.